Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle and Cosmic Kart Racing are both revealed at the Texas Pinball Festival. Stern Pinball hires Brian Eddy as a senior designer and Bowen Karens joins Spooky Pinball. Iron Maiden is announced and the first machine has already been shipped. Pinball Expo is back at the original hotel and on the original dates. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston. And I'm Martin Ayer. And this is the Pinball News of March 2018. So, of course, last month we had the Texas Pinball Festival, which is uh, now a huge show. Um, Jonathan, uh, you and, and I were both there. We did the um, So You Think You Know Pinball quiz, didn't we? Yes, we did. We were the opening seminar Friday uh, afternoon at 6 p.m. during happy hour in the bar, which is a very good spot. Lots of people there. Yeah, we know uh, how to how to attract an audience. Um, basically, make sure they get lots of free booze and win free prizes and free prizes and and great prizes as well from uh, all our sponsors. Um, I'm sure you have a, a whole list of them there to thank. Yeah, except, uh, of course I do. Um, huge thanks to Jersey Jack Pinball, Stern Pinball, Spooky Pinball, Dutch Pinball, Double Danger, and I certainly hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Uh, but, uh, pinball, I'm sure. Sorry. Did you mention American Pinball? Um, did we give anything away from American Pinball? Oh, yeah, we did, certainly did. It's oh, yes, oh, yes, absolutely. American Pinball, how could I forget that those Very wonderful kind. people at American Pinball, we should definitely not forget those. Um, if I recall, uh, a couple of Houdini trans lights and T-shirts and um, all that kind of stuff. Everybody's, we gave away over 30 prizes, which is... I know, it's amazing. Yeah. And um, in, in an hour, we managed to get through, I think, all our questions that we prepared and got through, managed to give away all the prizes that we collected. So uh, Very well prepared, you, I'd say. I'd say so. I think we timed it quite well. Um, and despite the uh, the... The alcohol that was flowing everywhere, uh, it all went <coughs> incredibly smoothly and uh, everybody had a great time, I think. I think so too. Good. Um, well, obviously that was the highlight of Texas Pinball Festival, but there were a few other sideshows that went on that we might want to mention. Sure. Um, well, there's actually uh, there's a couple. We have two game reveals at the show. Um, I wanted to start with Cosmic Kart Racing because that's the game that most people overlook, but it was actually... Um, a low-key introduction to the game, but it was introduced as the first, right from the start of the show, the game was available, two, um, two units of the game. I'm not sure whether they were actually linked together, because it appeared that way. They were both standing in a, um, under a display that sort of seemed to group them together. I'm not sure whether they well, were linked. They actually weren't linked together, because um, I think Jerry said he deliberately didn't want to make people think that you had to have two machines in order to play the game. Right. But it's, it plays perfectly well and, and very enjoyably as a single-player game. Um, so you, you, know, you don't have to play against somebody else, but you can as well. So they were, they were kind of holding that feature back until a bit later. Right. So um, it's an interesting concept because it's a racing game, and the way I understood it is you have to make shots to keep your speed up. That's right. Um, and to uh, collect... Um, sort of power-ups, which can boost you um, as on, along your path, or to block other players, so the, to inhibit their progress. Right. And if I understood it correctly, uh, at the start of the game, all the ramps and all the um, uh, shots at the top of the playfield they light up green. With, yeah, uh, that's right. Green, green, green shots are good shots. And as soon as you made a certain shot, it turns white. 
indicating that you already shot it. Yes, that's right. And eventually some shots become blocked if um, some of the other players get power-ups, be they computer-controlled or physical other players. They can uh, invoke a power-up which can uh, pop up a couple of blockers on your uh, on your ramp shots or other places and stop you making the shots you need to make. Right. I had no idea why that was, but because obviously I experienced those block-ups and I was like, why is that? Now I can make the shot, but that explains yeah. a lot. Thank you for that. That's right, because you can do the same thing. If you collect the power-ups, then you can, you can activate them at some point and stop other people making any progress as well. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, Cosmic Kart Racing, of course, was one of the one of the first two games, along with Lexi Lightspeed, that was announced when, when uh, the P3 platform was really launched. And it's, uh, Lexi was given the uh, sort of uh, development time to give a full-featured, sort of rounded, traditional pinball game. Uh, but Co Cosmic Kart Racing has always been there as one of the top, you know, first two launch titles, really. And uh, it was put on the back burner, but has now sort of been given the development time it needed. And um, it's because it's a different type of game. We didn't want, I don't, don't think Jerry wanted to launch the P3 with something which was sort of so radically different from traditional pinball. He wanted something that was a lot more familiar to people, so they got used to the P3 platform. And uh, now they've got you know, all the other games like Cannon Lagoon, and they've got games like Grand Slam Baseball coming up as well, and Barnyard and Rocks and all those out there. Yeah. It's a good time to bring uh, Cosmic Kart up now to the market. Right, okay. So it looks interesting and um, I understood it's not completely uh, developed yet. I think code was like at 50%, I'm not sure, but that's something. Yeah, that's my understanding, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so it's gonna improve in code further, but what was there already was, um, I guess you could say innovative for people. Absolutely, and, and the um, nearly 400 LEDs on the ramp, so all individually controllable, and it just looks, you know, stunning when you see it. First of all, just doing the light show in a track mode, right? Uh, the way the colours, you know, the sort of rainbow colours go around, and they've got LEDs around the around the rings that are on the ramps, and uh, you know, really is an impressive looking game from that point of view. And that's just the upper playing field, of course. Now, without, without counting the rest of it, right? So um, obviously, there were animations on the uh, the big LCD that is actually the play field. Um, uh, oddly enough, I have to say I wasn't really paying attention to those while I was playing. Well, I think probably the same here. I was so concentrating on just shooting the, the lit ramps and, and orbits, trying to get those and um, consistently managing to hit posts all the time without, uh, without making the shots. Right. And then watching, keeping an eye on the little, uh, little meter on the right-hand side. Uh, which shows you how the other cars are doing, and then you realise that you're, you know, you were first, and then you're third, and then you're back in fourth. If you don't make the shots, so you have to you really have to keep making those shots, or you, you will end up last, or, right. or, or um, you can complete the the circuit in time. If that game would be flowing like uh, dialed in, for example, if it would have that type of flow, that it could be a very very good game. Um, but I'm the, the, the game that I played didn't. I, I had the feeling I was still hitting too much posts that I couldn't get all the shots flowing right after each other, you know. So, but. Yeah, I felt the same. Um, funny you mentioned that too. Um, I'm sure it's something which you'll get used to after a while, once you've got used to where, where all these shots are. But, um, yeah, because you really want to sort of experience all those those clever things they've done on the game, like, you know, those, those um, locks, the magnetic locks on the ramps. 
um, which I think is, is um, almost, a, I think it's a first, isn't it? The fact that you can lock a ball on the ramp and sort of it's held there by a magnet um, just in a, on a normal part of the ramp, but you can shoot another ball up and knock the existing ball out and then, and the ball that you just shot up becomes a locked ball. Right. So it's kind of like having a physical post there, but it's done with magnets. So uh, I think that's, uh, that, that's looking pretty good. But yeah, obviously you need to be able to make the shots uh, to uh, achieve that. Right. I heard about that. Um, I didn't get that far. I no. was able to lock one ball, and I think I I, I drained on on the second ball that was in, brought into play. So, but uh, Jerry did, Jerry did uh, demonstrate that in the uh, seminar that you had, though. So, uh, if you, I think I think they're actually on Twitch TV now, um, the Texas Pinball Seminar. So it might be worth checking that out on the Texas Pinball Festival uh, feed on their old channel and uh, to see because he he did have a camera over the top. So I don't know whether the, uh, the recording picked up that or whether that was more sort of just a wide shot that showed the uh, showed Jerry and, and the machine but uh, anyway it's definitely worth checking out the seminars from Texas on Twitch right okay so um, well we keep an eye on uh, further developments for uh, Cosmic Card Racing and other uh, P3 games from Multimorphic of course indeed yes there's quite a few coming up including as I mentioned Grand Sam Baseball from uh, Jimmy, I think Jimmy Lippen's doing doing that so with his company, so uh, that should be out before too much longer, I think. Okay, then the other, um, well, I'd say the biggest reveal, uh, there was a third reveal, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, mm. Spooky Pinballs, Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Yes, indeed, the uh, the game was out there on the on the floor from the very start of the show, but uh, you couldn't see the uh, the actual playfield because there was uh, well there were two machines and they both had a big sheet of white paper covering the playfield um, and that was only actually taken away or re the playfield was revealed during the spooky pinball seminar on Saturday afternoon at four uh, p.m. That's right. Yes, where of course uh, we were. I was also sort of privileged to be able to present the Pinball News Game of the Year Award to uh, Scott Nielsen. Yes. Yeah, for his, uh, his amazing um, Total Nuclear Annihilation game, which uh, which won, you know, hands down in, in the in the vote. But uh, I don't want to get into that too much, but um, it, was a, it was very, very nice to see him getting a, a really good sort of a standing ovation when, when I, I announced the uh, the award and uh, and presented him with the with the trophy for Game of the Year 2017. But uh, the, that was just a little part of the uh, spooky, spooky presentation, which uh, Charlie was uh, gracious enough to let me take over for a moment. But uh, the, the main feature was most definitely the uh, revealing of uh, the Alice, Cooper Nightmare, Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. Right, and um, actually that didn't take very long. Uh, Charlie was quite nervous. Um, I think anybody could tell. He was also quite emotional. And um, uh, I think in uh, less than 10 minutes, basically was like, okay, uh, this is the game. He put a camera on top of it. It was a pity that the camera was um, uh, straight above the uh, the play field, not allowing to see any sort of depth. Um, would have been nicer <laughs> if the camera would have been sort of like a three-quarter view of the play field, so you could see a little bit of what the um, uh, the castle ruins or whatever you call them um, uh, are doing. But yeah, and the, and the guillotine as well. Right, uh, which you couldn't see straight from the top, which was how the camera was positioned. But other than that, uh, everybody got a chance to walk up to the game and obviously play them. 
uh, at the Spooky Pinball booth after the uh, official reveal had taken place. Yeah, indeed, and I think um, certainly from from what I um, saw and heard, uh, the reaction was very, very favourable. People thought it was a their best game to date. It felt and played really well, and uh, they, they liked the toys and the and the artwork and the colour scheme in it. And um, I think it's uh, well. I'm sure they have no problem selling all 500 if they haven't already. It is limited to 500, isn't that right, John? Yes, it is. Um, what I understood um, last update that I heard was on the uh, Spooky Pinball podcast. Um, they haven't sold out 500 yet. They're actually even reserving 50 for some charity event in, uh, that includes Alice Cooper himself. Oh, right. Um, uh, they haven't sold out all, uh, all games yet, but it is going pretty quick. Um, it's interesting if people would uh, name this their best game. Um, uh, does that include Total Nuclear Annihilation in that same mix, or uh, are they just looking at the games that Spooky did without Total Nuclear Annihilation, which is sort of a Scottonese design. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm not sure whether people will even whether you could. Well, it's fair to do a comparison between the two because they're, they're very different games. Right. Uh, so I think of I think they're probably thinking of the um, you know um, America's Most Haunted and the Rob Zombie um, sort of generation of games that people were were, were looking at. Uh, Alice Cooper's game as the best of the, of the traditional or the, the spooky games. The spooky in house games, let's call them that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think well, uh, if you haven't played it yet, you should definitely give it a go because it, um, I, I only played one game on it, um, but I was impressed. No, I don't, I don't know. Did you play it, John? Yes, I did. Um, the games at first were set at one ball play per game. Um, in order to make sure that as many people could play it as uh, as possible. They only had two machines at the show. Um, Saturday night, uh, after the uh, the show hall closed for the regular public and only the VIPs were um, allowed to, to stay in, uh, one of the games was set to two balls per game. Um, I played, I think, one or two of those games. Um, that certainly helped getting a little further into the game. Um, I, uh, it had a good feel, but I had still get to get used to like the scavenger hunt that you're apparently doing. Uh, you're, you're browsing through that castle various rooms, uh, depending on the shots that you make, and you're battling various monsters. Uh, but apparently during a battle you can also escape that room and then you go somewhere else. And I still had to... Um, get a feel for the game to 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 realize where I am and what I'm doing. But other than that, it absolutely top-notch job for uh, for Charlie and his team. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the one I played was two ball. I didn't realize it was only only one machine that was on that. But um, yeah, I was playing a multiplayer game in two ball and uh, managed to get quite a few multi balls going in those two. And didn't really know what I was doing. Oh, just such a show off. No, because I, I didn't know how I started them, but uh, I was going for the old, um, you know, shoot the locks when, when locks lit, just lock three balls and multi balls seem to start. So um, that seemed to be a reliable uh, thing to do. So, um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, all, all credit to uh, the Spooky team um, for producing, you know, another great game. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, so it looks like two winners in a row for Spooky Pinball. 
Yeah, so it would seem. Yeah, so I have to wonder what the, what the next one's going to be. Well, they've got to, uh, got to keep the the trend going, haven't they? Well, I I think that train will be going for quite a while now. Uh, I mean, they got to do 500 of Alice Cooper and TNA uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation is near 400 games sold, and the production is currently I think they are um, just under 110. Um, that have been built and tested, so um, so that's like uh, close to 300 games to go. So basically, they got they have to build 800 games, um, and they're still a small family. They are indeed, yeah, and they, were, they want to stay that way, which is which is you know all credit to them for not wanting to become you know another stir, and they want to they want to be spooky, right. Um, but if you think about it, um, if you have like uh, orders for 800 games lining up, then I don't think you're sp you're not you're no longer spooky. Yeah, uh, okay, I see what you're saying, but um, I think that if they keep the production numbers, you know, the number of machines they make, they don't try to expand you know, and get another production line going or something like that, then. Um, people understand that they're a small company and they're willing to wait for their games. Right. And um, I think there's an awful lot of goodwill behind Spooky as well. You know, oh, more than there are you know, behind the, the bigger companies. So uh, I don't think they've got a problem at the moment. But uh, yeah, there's certainly there's no there's no rush to uh, to announce another game, is there? No. And actually, uh, looks to me like they have plenty of time for the development of another game because. Well, they need to build these other these these games that are currently being sold. They need to build these first, and in the meantime, there's all the time in the world to develop another new title. Well, not only build these games, they have to develop the software on them because, of course, they're not they're not software complete in, right. in any. I mean, Total Nuclear Annihilation could potentially never be software complete because Scott just keeps on to adding more and more features to it. I mean, actually, he mentioned that. Game. Um, he's sort of done on that. He will just be fixing bugs. Um, but um, to touch on the, t uh, the subject of software and, uh, in this case, also um, hardware, um, at the Texas Pinball Festival it was announced that Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle is, like Total Nuclear Annihilation, also running on the P-Rock system. That's from, right. From Multimorphic. Um, that was part of the reason why the software wasn't that far uh, developed because they basically originally planned to do the game on uh, the Ben Hex system and yep. they had code further developed alone for that platform and then they decided to go with the P-Rock platform so they had to start from scratch on code for that one so that explains why code wasn't that uh, developed but Obviously, the, the P-Rock platform has proven itself. Um, there's at least four pinball companies currently using it as a platform for their, uh, for their games. I think it's, um, it's a real testament to the, to the original design of the P-Rock and the P-3-Rock board sets that um, so many people have, have decided to use them because it's, it's just made pinball manufacturing on a small scale or on a large scale you know, so much more easy than it could have been if, if everybody had to develop their own individual different board set and control system and, and software right. for it. 
Um, so I think um, Jerry and uh, the whole team who, who worked on, on uh, Jerry also did mainly in the hardware, but the, the guys who did the software for that, you know, the, um, the framework for it, um, deserve a big pat on the back for, you know, really pushing uh, smaller scale pinball manufacturing in a way which you know, wouldn't previously have been possible um, without spending huge amounts of money developing uh, not just your own software, but, but making your own boards. Right. And um, uh, I think uh, you might even go further and uh, say part of this whole pinball resurgence that apparently is going on has to be credited to the fact that uh, because these boards are available, uh, more people are getting into small-scale pinball production and boosting that resurgence. That's true. And it's, it's also something which brings on uh, the talent um, for the next generation of pinball uh, software programmers and, and game designers that they can actually access all this. Um, they can build their own games reasonably easily and program them and design their own rules um, in a way which was never possible before. And those people can then either develop their own companies, uh, as some have, or be, become employed by some of the larger companies. Right. So, um, and since we're uh, talking, well, we mentioned total nuclear annihilation also running on the P-Rock system. Um, Scott Denisi, uh, designer and programmer, introduced actually two new features to the, uh, the game code of total nuclear annihilation at the Texas Pinball Festival. The so-called uh, co-op mode, and there was a second mode um, where basically every, uh, oh, there's a team versus mode. So that means that player one and three are um, teamed up and two and four are teamed up. So you can battle uh, in teams of two against each other. Well, that, that certainly makes, uh, well, should make the game a bit easier because uh, not everyone's bowing and not everyone can get to destroy reactor nine on uh, with a camera pointing at them and an audience you know, um, expecting them to get there. So. Yes, if, if people can, can do a, have a co-op mode, either all, all players together or teams, then that adds another element to it. And it would also be great for, for parties as well in the, in the home, where you can get, um, rather than everybody just playing individually, you, you, can, you can all team up or, or split into pairs. Yeah, sounds fun. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So, And like I said, um, I believe Scott Denise announced that that was sort of the last thing that he was adding, and from then it would just be fixing bugs, if any, and um, because at some point you got to let it go. I mean, you can go completely overboard and keep changing and adding stuff, but... Um, yeah, yeah, but, you know, if somebody comes up with a really good idea, I'm, I'm sure it would be hard for him to say, no, I'm done with that game, and he might just want to try and sneak it in there somewhere in a future code update. Oh, well, we'll see. Um, I think that runs it up for um, Spooky Pinball. Yeah, absolutely. But there was, there was certainly some uh, some other announcements at the Texas show, which uh, you know Texas shows you know, a, a big deal these days. It's uh, it's grown and grown, and uh, both in numbers of games, number of attendees, number of vendors, and um, a number of big names who were there. I mean, one of the things that really struck me was as you as you sort of walk the halls, you you bump into people who were at the show, you know, famous names, designers, programmers, whoever, artists who are there, but aren't even part of the billing. You know, you, know, you come across Dennis Nordman in the corridor or Mark Ritchie or whatever, and they're not speaking, they're not doing any presentations, but they're, you know, that's the place to be, so that's where they go. Right. 
and um, yeah, it's great running into these people. Um, I don't know how your Saturday night went, but um, I know <laughs> that um, somewhere around 4 a.m. in the morning, I found you in Mark Ritchie's room um, where a party was going on. Um, and to be honest, I have no idea where I was prior to that. Um, <laughs> I really don't. I've been trying to recall. One of the fun things, at least for me, um, so in the middle of Saturday night, you run into John Borg in the uh, elevator, have a great chat with him, um, mm -hmm. where you spilled some very interesting notes on, on, on the development of Guardians of the Ga uh, Galaxy. Oh, do uh, tell. Um, when John Borg was designing... What became Guardians of the Galaxy, um, there was no theme announced to him what he would be working on. He knew that Stern had the Iron Maiden theme, and he was expecting it to become Iron Maiden. So what he did was he designed the playfield and he left a big gap in the middle where he could place an Eddie toy. Um, and then instead of getting Iron Maiden, he got the Guardians of the Galaxy license and he decided to use that to put Groot instead right. in the center okay so it would have potentially been very similar to metallica i guess with uh well than the sparky character but having an, an eddie character up there a bash toy right and that might actually have been one of the reasons for management to decide not to give the iron maiden license to john borg because um He's already sort of the, 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 the rock band designer at Stern. But it's interesting um, that, that, that uh, not many people might realize that the current Guardians of the Galaxy playfield might have been Iron Maiden. Yeah, it's interesting. But in, in, a, in a sense, I suppose you could also say that Guardians of the Galaxy is a music pin too. Right, but slightly different. Yeah. Um, right. It's got some good music in it now, at least. Uh, well, yes. um, actually, there's an interesting comment that John Borg made about that as well, because um, I asked him um, prior to Pinball Expo in October, when I already knew he was working on that game, I asked about the music, and he said, oh, no, it's going to be fantastic. And then it turned out originally that none of the soundtrack songs were in the game. Yeah. That's right, they weren't licensed, were they? Right, and then uh, as soon as everybody on Pinside and, uh, and, and other forums started complaining about that, um, sort of understatement, um, they, they went after that and put them in the game after all. But the interesting comment that John made um, when I talked to him at Texas was, he says like, well, all the action scenes are with... Um, uh, the theatrical score. So all the fighting scenes and everything that they use for multiball um, in the movies, that's all based on scenes where they use the, 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 the music score and not the songs from, from the Walkman soundtrack, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. In the movie, um, those songs are used when he's just walking around and kicking something or... or um, they're not in the action scene. So in a sense, it sort of made sense that the that the pinball game would feature the uh, the the orchestral yes. score and not so much the 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 Walkman score, but that's not what the movie is remembered for. No, exactly. No, people remember the, the the music tracks in it, and even they don't remember exactly how they'll be used. Right. You can't you can't have that song without 
a whole bunch of tracks from the awesome mix volume one or volume two i think it, the, the, the movie only is only the uh, sorry the the game is only the first movie isn't it it is yes yeah. which is okay. also quite disappointing because the second movie was already out by then yeah but yeah, well, licensing you know okay yeah we get it but um and that that's also interesting apparently the, the license was sort of handed to them because the, the the creators of guardians of the galaxy wanted stern to make a pinball and then they got all um uh tricky about what was allowed and what not and i don't get that if you want a pinball machine then just give all the assets and you know oh i agree but um it may not necessarily be theirs to give you know the, the movie probably licensed the soundtracks and they can't then sub-license them to stern true and so you can use these so they have to stern has to go back to the original publishers and uh, copyright holders if they want to be able to use them right so anyway so we got to this because of running into john borg at 4 a.m somewhere um at the texas pinball festival in um uh, yeah on the, on yeah. the third floor near the elevator um uh, I, I, I should really point out that jonathan and i were sharing a room at the texas pinball festival and um i thought i was being you no know, reasonably good at uh, getting back to the, the room about what five o'clock or something like that or four four thirty in the morning five o'clock um, but I, when I got back there, I was the room was empty, and Jonathan <laughs> rolled up about an hour after I did. Yeah, um, I had to get out in order to. Uh, was that Saturday night? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, that was Saturday night. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be out there Sunday to uh, fairly early Sunday to uh, get back in, into the show hall because one of the things I find when I go to shows like like Texas and and Pinball Expo, which we'll come to a bit later, um, is. If they have seminars, then I tend to be in the seminar hall the entire time uh, the, the seminars are running, which means that if the seminars run all day Saturday, uh, as they pretty much did um, this year, then till about nine o'clock or whatever, then I don't get to get into the show hall until nine o'clock. And um, then I'm sort of going around photographing and videoing everything. And, um, and that takes me all the way and making a list of all the machines. That takes me up to basically the time they kick us out. Which is uh, what was it? Two o'clock in the morning. I think we got kicked out of the show hall on Sunday, on what, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, okay. At which point, it's then start, you know, start to uh, get out and enjoy ourselves and meet up with everybody else. So yeah, it's a late night, and uh, we have to be out there Sunday morning to uh, pick up and uh, cover the things that are happening that day as well, because it's a packed show, um, just as uh, as it is in uh, in Chicago too. But it's so. thoroughly enjoyable and, and fantastic, and. No, those two shows really are the uh, the big the big two, I'd say. Now, what do you think, Jonathan? Is that, is that oh, fair? absolutely yes. Texas has um, might even be more interesting than um, uh, the Pinball Expo show, which I don't want to um, um, say anything negative about. But the fact that um, a Pinball Expo usually doesn't have that many games and over at Texas you have 400 games and everybody's really trying to bring their best game to the show. Um, the, the show is used by more and more companies to reveal uh, games. Um, obviously Stern was there with a quite a large delegation. I mean George Gomez was there, John Bork was there, Steve Ritchie was there. Um, so they are heavily represented, they realize it's an important show uh, for them to make a presence. Uh, even if they didn't have uh, a new game to show um, this year, but 
you know, that might change. Um, yeah, the, the, the timing of these things is often dictated by you know, factors they, they can't control. You know, if things aren't signed off but in time for a show, they, they just can't show it. But hands down to Ed, Kim and Paul, the organizers of the Texas Pembo Festival, because, and all their volunteers and everybody else who helps to make this a really wonderful show because it's absolutely a blast being there. You run into so many people that you either met at that show uh, at earlier editions or people that you know from other shows. It's it's just, it's it, uh, the best way to say is it's wonderful. I can't, that's the only word I can think of. Well, I think the fact that we've uh, probably been talking for nearly 40 minutes about things that went on at that show, and we still haven't finished yet, I don't think. Um. Exactly, because, and if we, before we get to Stern, there was another sort of reveal at the Texas Pinball Show that I briefly want to talk about, which was the remake of Kingpin. Indeed, that was um, from Circus Maximus, which um, obviously was um, James Laughlin, Paul Kiefer, and... Um, and Jimmy Lippenham again. Jimmy Lippham, of course, yes, who's, who's the man of a, of a million games. He seems to be in, have his finger involved in, in or finger in, in the pie for every single new project that's out there. I'm sure that's not true, but uh, he is a very busy guy. Um, not only just doing his uh, his his um, baseball game for P3, but also doing the uh, Wizard Blocks remake as well, which is also on display. Right, you know, people see that. But anyway, getting back to to Kingpin. Yes, go on. Yes. Talk about Kingpin. So, um, what's interesting, uh, for those who don't know, Kingpin was a game that was developed by uh, Capcom in the uh, mid-90s. It was designed by Mark Ritchie, who was actually also at the show, we just mentioned that. Um, and what's interesting is that they, they currently built a prototype, uh, I think we should call it, um, but what I found out at the show is that that entire prototype was built with parts that uh, were collected over the years by a um, Californian collector who I'm not sure whether he wants to have his name mentioned, so I won't mention his name, but... That's a good idea, yeah. Um, but basically, so um, to, to build this game, they actually didn't have to... Um, uh, make that many parts themselves because most of them came from this collector who had basically enough parts so the game could be built. Um, yeah, doesn't go for the uh, the hardware to drive it because I understood this was running on a P Rock as well. Yes. This is another P Rock game. Yes, indeed. Um, and so they and the, the LEDs in there, of course, are, are new, which um, and all the wiring of it is new right. for those. Yeah, so that they had to do. Uh, that part, and of course, that's where Jimmy Lippen was uh, probably a very big help. Um, uh, but it's sort of I'm I'm I'm. It's different when you're building a prototype from scratch, scratch, and you have to um, um, get all the side rails or whatever the 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 the, the guide rails. You have to yeah. make them to spec for your game, and instead of having them handed to you, sort of. Um, I don't want to. Um, uh, um, talk down the project because it's it's a huge effort what they did, but it sort of feels like okay, it's it's more like okay, we're putting you get a kit and you build it, you you put it together. It's not like I, I think, you, I think that's, that's fair to an extent, but uh, but yeah, there was there was quite a lot of 
of custom well the, the, all the wiring i don't think yes. don't think they necessarily use you know, the wiring well, the wiring um the the the, the um well, lighting effects as well lighting, all the programming and uh, simulation of the original software um one of the interesting yeah. things um well i um i'm trying to think whether i'm allowed to say this um um, I saw a photo of, of the, the, the Circus Maximus team together with Mark Ritchie, um, who designed the game. Um, I think Mark told me that he didn't like the size of the display. He rather would see something, um, the, the size of the, the way Chicago Gaming went with um, uh, the big LCD on Attack from Mars. He thinks that would be more suitable. I think, it, I think he's, he's got a very valid point there for for what they are, or what they were showing at the at the show, because what they were showing was the was a, an emulation of the uh, Capcom operating system and the the Capcom original display and rules. So that display is obviously designed about uh, for a one nine uh, sorry one two eight by thirty two. Um, thirty two, yeah, thirty two. Yeah. Um, DMD display. So that's not something which, which fits nicely onto the LCG screen, but that is only one particular direction they're going in. The, the first stage was to emulate what Capcom do, and the second stage is to completely rewrite the rules and, and create their own displays, which will fit on the display that they have in there. So, yes, they're right. You know, if that's all they're going to do, just emulate, let's say, just, you know, as far as the display goes, they're only going to show the original animations and, and displays um, then yeah, it's not a great aspect ratio for that. But if they go the full, full, you know, go the whole hog and and write their own software and then create their own graphics, um, then they can obviously fill it in the same way that Stern does um, with their displays and and make best use of it. Right, or they might still choose to use a different um, ratio display and uh, go the Chicago gaming route or the Dutch pinball route, uh, for that matter, um, because they had that, that wider um, display uh, as well, um, which could actually work fine, because then um, if, if people will get an option to choose between which games, you want, you want both simulations that you're running to look good, I, I, I expect. so. Um, but other than that, it was a very impressive uh, effort of what they did, especially since if, if you take into account that they hadn't started on that until after Pinball Expo of October last year. So That's yeah. right. So it's virtually well, three or four months worth right. from, um, from saying they were going to do it right. to actually having that game there. That's, that is very impressive. Absolutely. Um, and but we'll see exactly what they... You know what they intend to do with it, and what kind of timescale they're they're um, they're looking at. Because of course, there's still still the um, the the pinball circus project which they are working on as well. Well, that's an interesting uh, thing as well. What what they mentioned. Um, there's a couple of things I um, um, I'd like to address, and I hope that Circus Maximus won't mind me mentioning it. In the sense that um, they mentioned that. Kingpin, the, the Kingpin project is sort of like an easier game for them to get started on, and with the profits of that Kingpin game, they would be able to fund the Python's Pinball Circus uh, development further, um, which completely makes sense. But um, 
that sort of also means that Kingpin is going to become a rather expensive game. At least you might think, or you could think, that it would be like that. Um, on top of that, they also mentioned that they have three options for uh, manufacturing of the game, um, which of which two, I think, indicate that they knock on either Chicago Gaming's door or Stern Pinball's door or Spooky Pinball's door. Um, and the last option would be that they would um, develop manufacturing in-house for themselves, which would mean setting up an entire assembly line. But then you're basically, if you have to invest in an assembly line for yourself, um, for that one game, that's going to be a huge investment, so that's going to make that game even more expensive. Sure, you can use that for um, the, the Python's Pinball Circus project after that. But and future games. And future games, of course, but it's still a huge investment. So that tells me that Kingpin is not, is not likely to be a very... Um, well, it's, it's not going to be a $5,000 game, let's put it like that. No, I think that's fair enough. And you know, if they had the kind of money to spend to set up an entire um, production line and, and production facility, then they would probably have spent that in getting Pinball Circus out the door rather than um, trying to raise money from uh, from Kingpin. Right. So, and you have also have to wonder. Um, let's say they go, they knock on the door of Chicago Gaming, who are already busy enough as they are with uh, their own remakes. Um, why would Chicago Gaming even be interested? Because um, they could, in theory, do it themselves. Absolutely, they could, yeah. So why would they, I mean, they would really have to knock on the door with a huge bag of money, um, making it so interesting that it would be interesting enough for Chicago Gaming to say, we're not going to do this ourselves, but we're going to take your money and we'll do this for you. and then. Again, if that takes a lot of money to get them to start going on that game, that means that eventually the, the people who are buying the game are going to pay for that. Yeah, and not only that, if you go to Chicago Gaming and say, I want you to make Kingpin for me, they'll go, well, hang on, we're already making uh, Medieval Madnesses, we're making Attack from Mars remakes, we're making, we've got our next game coming up, we're about to start making that, we don't want you in the market taking money out which people might be spending on our games. Right. Yeah, so um, it's it's probably Chicago Gaming are, are pretty much tied up at the moment. Well, uh, Spooky certainly are pretty much tied up with all the, with their, uh, all the games that they have to right. make. So, so who else? Be maybe, maybe American. Yeah, American might work. Stern Pimble might work because they at least have the capacity. Then it's, it's a question whether as the same the same example that you just raised is stern interested in adding another competitor to the market yeah yeah um or i guess there are other companies outside the us who might possibly be interested in making the game it doesn't need to be a us based game does it it doesn't have to be but then we still need to have these companies cranking out games in larger series um, yeah, there's not that many doing that right now. No, and, and again, whoever whoever that is, they will end up being a, a competitor in the end. Right. So, um, oh well. Um, yeah. Thankfully, that's not up for us uh, to us to decide. But we, uh, uh, at least I do, wish uh, Circus Maximus all the best in, in in 
getting this going. I think it's safe to say that um, I don't think we're going to see any production games of Kingpin if they get that for uh, this year. That looks to be like a 2019 production title. Yeah, I think once you once you um, go through the bit of materials and work out all the parts that you actually need to make from scratch for that game, as, as you said, you, know, you can make one using uh, spares that are already in existence and owned by um, a, a collector, but to actually go ahead and, and fabricate all those parts uh, is certainly going to take time. Right. Uh, anyway, moving on from that, um, there, um, we, we mentioned American Pinball just now. and um, We also mentioned Chicago Gaming. Where do you want to go? Oh, well, okay. Uh, well, we're talking, let's do it in alphabetical order then with American. Okay. Because uh, they had an announcement or a semi-kind of announcement as to what their next game is likely to be. I completely missed that. Okay. Um, I know well, the, 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 there's a rumor going around that it would be Oktoberfest. Um, did yeah. they confirm that? They they certainly raised that in their in their talk, um, and I think there was a let me say a, a mixed response to that. Um, that people were not entirely convinced that it would have a wide enough appeal. Um, you could see it appealing to to the barcade and uh, bar crowd, but um, to the home collector doing something based around alcohol, drinking, um, I don't know. It uh, might be a tough sell, I think, to a family home in the way that uh, Houdini was a was a you know, pretty much a slam dunk. It's a, it's a title which everybody knows and um, gives you a bunch of ideas to start with. Oktoberfest, hmm, not so sure. What do you think? Well, um, I mentioned this on the Head to Head Pinball podcast um, about a month ago. They discovered that um, American Pinball had trademarked uh, the name Oktoberfest and they figured it would be uh, an upcoming theme. Uh, not only for pinball machine, uh, they also deposited it for uh, the use on slot machines, but that's another uh, story. Um, but the story goes that uh, Python Angelo um, was convinced that Oktoberfest would be a good theme for a pinball machine and uh, back in the days at Williams um, when Mark Ritchie was working on Diner, Python had suggested that he should re-theme it to Oktoberfest uh, because of international appeal. Williams management then said that they didn't like the name Oktoberfest uh, because yeah. it would limit the, 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 the sales window, sort of um, October. Right. And uh, so then it was received, uh, or he named it International Cafe. Uh, he came up with a rather amusing sketch for uh, what we would be the back class, uh, full of stereotypes of international characters um, ordering typical food for going for, for um, uh, that character. But yeah. um, um, in the end, Mark Ritchie didn't want to do it. Uh, Williams didn't want to do it. Um, Joe Bolser, who is who is likely to be the designer of that game, also suggested the theme to Gary Stern, um, early 2000s, something like that. And Gary wasn't interested in it as well because he wanted to sell games that people could play all year, um, not just in October. Um, so I can see some some of the the, the resistance. Um, 
Other, but then again, if the theme is integrated in um, uh, a good way, it can, uh, of course it can be a fun game that you'd love to play all year long. Um, where I'm having trouble is trying to figure out, like, so what would you do with an Oktoberfest theme? Are yes. you going for, for Bratwurst Multiball? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a question of how how Germanic, I suppose, you actually go ahead and make the, the title, whether it's more sort of just a, a sort of generic bar theme. Right, and then still you have to see, like, okay, so what are you going to do? I mean, it's not like um, Oktoberfest is a... Um, I mean, in the bar scene, there's plenty of people who want to taste different beers um, and, and uh, to, to find their favorites or new favorites or whatever you want to call it. Um, Oktoberfest is just like they serve beer and nobody's picky about what it is as long as it's beer. Yeah, and there's lots of it and it's in big, big steins, you know, big uh, containers. Right. You know, and um, of course the women dress up in these uh, um, uh, dindles or what are what are they called? You know that probably better than I do. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what those uh, outfits are called. But right. uh, the guys are dressed in lederhosen, mm -hmm. and um, okay, there's also an outfit for um, uh, the women. Um, I can see the appeal that the cleavage that these outfits usually have would have on a male pinball audience. Um, all that is probably a um, comment that probably should not be made um, these days. Um, no, I think we've probably moved on from that kind of uh, artwork and theme, haven't we? Um, I think um, the industry has moved on, but I'm not going to say beautiful women are not out of style ever. No, of course not, no. But there's, uh, there's ways of uh, portraying that. Right. So, but in, in, in the spirit of Oktoberfest, I think it's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek would be okay, you know, I mean. Yeah, yes, you could definitely do it as a sort of almost like a, a pastiche or um, a wry look at what, what people think Oktoberfest actually is. Right. So, and um, then still I'm trying to figure out, okay, so how do you get a game going around that? So that, yeah. that's, but okay, I'm not Joe Bolser, and that's uh, he probably has ideas for that, else he wouldn't have stuck to that theme for um, uh, almost 20 years. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. yeah, I must think it can work. So that's that's what American are potentially working on as their next game. Um, uh, Chicago Gaming, then talk about them. Well, um, that's interesting. Um, they had originally announced to be revealing their third remake at the Texas Pinball Festival. And a week ahead of the show, they decided to communicate. They told everybody, sorry, we're working on a feature that's not done yet. It's not finished. We're not introducing the new remake. Um, much to a lot of disappointment of people at the show. Um, Spooky Pinball probably um, did a lot of extra business uh, because of that. If people wanted to spend money at the show, then they probably either bought Total Nuclear Annihilation or um, Alice Cooper's uh, Nightmare Castle. Um, but I talked to Dog Score about it, and he said um, the company is run by uh, Dog Duba, 
and he's a perfectionist. He has this feature for the, uh, for the upgraded models and he wants that feature to be perfect so it will really knock everybody's socks off. If it's not perfect, he doesn't want to show it. So, the, yeah, I think, I think everybody thought that was probably related to a topper for the game. Um, yeah, it could be. I have no idea. Because um, uh, he was talking about it being the um, the LE or the uh, Super LE or whatever they, yeah, they, they, they call that. They had a special edition and a limited edition for Attack from Mars, and I think they're sticking to that model again. Uh, I'm not even sure how much demand there would be for a standard uh, version remake. Um, I don't think they sold that many of Attack from Mars, but probably still enough to consider that as well. Um, but anyway, well, that's it. when we were at um, before the show, we went to Fun at um, Fun um, Game Room Superstore in um, uh, Mesquite. That's right, and uh, they they certainly had a, a large number of uh, boxes of uh, Attack from Mars is there, and I think nearly all of them there were were stainless steel side rails ones. So I guess they're the the standard edition rather than a limited or uh, special edition. Right. So I think they, they sell pretty well. Um, uh, so I think it's definitely worth them doing, you know, keeping that, that level of, of game going. It's worked for, worked for Stern in the past, uh, worked for Jersey Jack in a way, mm -hmm. and, um, in the same way, I should say. And uh, I guess it works for uh, Chicago too. Right. So um, I did ask Doug recently, that was last week I talked to him on the phone. I said, when can we expect the review? Mm. Um, if we're lucky, end of April, else early March. He gave it like a um, uh, two-week window. He said like, when I talked to him, he said like three to five, six weeks. Mm. So they're not even going to hit the Midwest Gaming Classic? Um, well, I don't know. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. That's, uh, I'm, I can only report what he told me. There was another interesting um, uh, rumor going around about that third remake, in the sense that um, DocScore did do an interview with Replay magazine. And in that uh, article were a couple of photographs featured that included a bunch of play fields in the background Including Indeed. of which one was a monster bash, the other two being Medieval Madness and Attack from Mars, which of course immediately resulted into people speculating that the third remake would be Monster Bash. I yes, asked, to be fair, that's been speculated for quite a long time before that, but I guess that was seen as some kind of confirmation of that. Right. Um, I asked Dog about that, and his comment was that they'd like to put out little teasers like that to throw people off. Okay, well there are two ways of, uh, well three ways of looking at that. The first is uh, exactly what he just said, they like to put out a little tease. The, uh, the second way is that it was a bit of a mistake and it shouldn't have been on there. And the third is that they actually did it as a kind of soft announcement to for those people who were thinking it was going to be announced at Texas um, and maybe had sort of money burning a hole in their pocket and they wanted to spend it on a, another game to let them know that that game is actually coming but they weren't prepared to announce it officially at the show but don't go out and buy any of the other companies uh, new products because 
Monster Bash is coming. Right. So there could have been any of those three, but um, I guess you know, take him at, at his word and say it was uh, it's a little bit of fun on their behalf, um, bearing in mind that they, they had intended to launch at Texas, but um, obviously if you miss that window, then they might as well wait until everything is, is absolutely perfect. Right. So, um, the other two titles mostly being rumoured for being, if it's not Monster Bash, then either um, Cactus Canyon is named a lot and Big Bang Bar as well. Um, I'm, I can't reveal any sources, but it's not going to be Big Bang Bar. Yeah, I, I, I'm willing to say that. So anybody hoping for Big Bang Bar, it's not remake number three is not going to be Big Bang Bar. I said it. <laughs> okay. So that narrows it down to probably two. Well, I'd be very surprised if it's not Monster Bash. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Quite right. Yeah. Okay. So we don't know what. It's not been confirmed what the next title from them is, um, but um, one game that that has been announced. Well, actually, let's before we go to that, let's. There were a couple of other announcements at Texas. So actually, there is another two. announcement regarding um, uh, Chicago Gaming that uh, I might as well throw in there now. Um, they <laughs> announced they finally found a Spanish distributor. And uh, it's, uh, um, I didn't. Ha I don't have the details in front of me. I just thought of it. Uh, it's a new guy um, who's starting up distribution, and he's also also taking on Jersey Jack Pinball. So um, that's a new company in Spain doing distribution for Jersey Jack Pinball and um, uh, Chicago Gaming, um, and hopefully that will get them started in a good way. I mean, um, Stern does have another company that is doing their distribution in Spain, so uh, there's going to be a little competition, I guess, um, but I have no idea how big of a market uh, for pinball Spain currently is, because while well, Spain is not the wealthiest country in Europe, I would say, over the past... No, but, but they do have a, a huge history of uh, pinball in that country, so oh, you would think, absolutely. You would think the opportunities there. It's certainly a, a, a holiday country for a lot of people in Europe, so that means that there's a lot of holiday spots that could use um, uh, fun pinball machines to uh, to be operated. So, yeah, absolutely. So good luck to them, um, whoever they are, and uh, and hopefully good news for the Spanish pinball market and buyers over there. Right. So, um, getting back to the other announcements that we had, um, so we had. Some new employment opportunities, I guess we could say, for a couple of uh, pretty well-known names in, in pinball. Right. Uh, do, you want, do you want to pick up one of those? Well, we already discussed spooky pinball, so let's start with that one. Um, Charlie Emery announced, after Bowen Karens had um, shown how to destroy Reactor 9 on total nuclear annihilation, that Bowen Karens is now a member of the spooky pinball family. Indeed, and he's going to be working on software and rules, rule development, I think. Is that right? Yes. 
So that's going to be interesting because obviously uh, you have creative people designing a playfield, but then what do you do with it? And obviously as a designer you might have an idea, but when someone like Bowen um, throws in his two cents, I'm pretty sure they come up with a lot of um, extra ideas. And I think um, what I understood is that Bowen had already chimed in on the development of um, Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle which basically resulted to um, to him getting this position. Right, okay, well that's good Good news. Uh, it's always good to have you know, talented people who, who understand how pinball plays involved in the development of games. And um, yeah, well with Keith having been uh, snapped up by Stern as well, you know, and, um, and, and uh, Zach as well by Stern, right. and Josh working Basically, if you want to get a job you, in the gaming industry these days, you just need to be a top pinball player. Well, it finally pays off. Yeah, there is some payback at last. Um, but also, um, the other announcement, which I, I guess I, I'll mention then, it was during George Gomez's seminar in the, on his Stern of the Union seminar. And um, he um, announced that the designer of Medieval Madness... Attack from Mars and Shadow, um, who is, of course... Brian Eddy. Thank you. Brian has now joined Stern Pinball as a senior game designer. Um, and will his, his, um, his first title will be coming out next year. Right. Uh, now, we don't know what that is. And I'm not entirely sure quite what the, the title senior game designer means whether, in fact, all the designers are senior game designers. Except for Keith Elwin. Well, maybe, I don't know whether Keith might even be a senior game designer, is he? Is there a junior game designer title? I well, I think the, the, the entire um, team for um, Iron Maiden, to which we get in, uh, in a bit, um, is called a rookie team at Stern, so... Um, I guess there's a, there are rookie teams and there are rookie game designers and senior game designers. Well, it could be the case, but uh, anyway, so so um, so Brian is back um, and will be uh, bringing us out, bringing his his new game to market next year. So right. we've got a little, little while to wait for that. Um, but so yeah, that's um, you, you touched on it there. Let's let's move on to what else has happened since. Um, Stern didn't release their game or announce their game. Actually, I still want to stick with Brian Eddy for a second, if you don't oh, mind. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, go for it. Um, of course, um, uh, Brian Eddy is a name that everybody has been hoping would get back to pinball um, because okay. uh, Medieval Madness and uh, uh, Attack from Mars are two absolute classics, and uh, there's a very good reason that uh, Ch Chicago Gaming picked those two titles as uh, their first two remakes. Um, but um, Stern Pimble is Stern Pimble. And uh, what we have seen with other designers is that not everybody gets the design freedom or liberty to do whatever they want to do or what that, that they were used to at Williams uh, as where Brian was working before. So um, you might be Brian Eddy and still get uh, hung up on a, on, on a, a, a license that you don't want to do or, um, you know, somebody has to do it and 
your Brian Eddy make it work. True. Yes, it's a different culture. It's a different market these days as well, you know, and as and the market in the end drives what the culture is at the company. So they have to make games with titles that they think will sell or designs that they think will sell. Right. Although that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have unlicensed titles, does it? No, it doesn't. And we get, I know where you're getting at and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but I'm, I, I sort of have a feeling that if Brian Eddy is doing a new title, everybody's going to be hoping for another Medieval Madness or another Attack from Mars, which actually both are original themes and with a lot of humor in there. And that's always difficult to put in a licensed game. So I'm very curious to see what Stern and Brian Eddy will come up with in order to um, basically um, uh, hype the game. I mean, it's, it's Brian Eddy, so the expectations are high, uh, which means he's on a pedestal. It's easy to get knocked off. Absolutely, yeah. But people will, will have very high expectations, regardless of what it is. But um, oh, I think it's, it's, it's only good news, the fact that he's back. You know, he's a very talented designer. We've seen that. He's a very and, nice uh, guy as well. Uh, he's a nice guy, and and he's no, he's still relatively young as well in the game design business compared to, to, to some others. So he's he's got a you know if he wants it, he, he's got a good few years um, creating new games for Stern. The other thing I was curious about, but nobody at Stern uh, answered it yet for me. Um, Brian is going to be working as a senior game designer, but it wasn't clear to me whether he was going to be working in-house or um, maybe he's just working as a part-timer or as a um, uh, he's designing um, somewhere else. I mean, he was um, everybody who who asked over the years whether Brian Eddy would be coming back was told he's working in um, uh, video games and uh, internet gaming. For, for Facebook and apparently the money is very good in that so um, I'm not sure whether Brian is 100% uh, full-time uh, being employed by Stern or whether he's still doing all the online gaming and that kind of stuff that he's been doing for the past decade and, uh, and a half. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair point I mean um, imagine when, when Steve Ritchie joined for instance you know he had his own company and he was you know, Steve Ritchie Productions and he was licensing games effectively and, and working designing games at home and then coming to the factory to get them made. Right. So, so yeah. Something like that as well, but yeah. we're not sure and nobody commented on that so far. Uh, but at, it's the gonna... the day, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter as long as he's, he's producing you know, great games. It doesn't matter how he actually, you know, what the process is. Right. So, um, so there's that. Um, from there, it's an easy jump to Elvira 3 which is actually a game that is partly developed outside of Stern by pinball designer Dennis Nordman. And during his seminar, George Gomez confirmed that that third Elvira-themed game is still um, happening. Yes, he did. He, he said that um, the basic design work on the game is, is pretty much done, um, but what they haven't got is, is anybody to work on it doing the software Right. Um, because they're all their all their software team are already tied up doing existing projects, so that's kind of you know put to one side for for the moment until they can allocate somebody to work on it. Right. Uh, interestingly, that game uh, is apparently already done for um, quite some time. Um, 
in terms, of, like, in terms of playfield layout and, and um, design, you mean? Yes. So yeah. uh, obviously it's going to be interesting. Um, one thing that um, uh, came up during the Texas Pinball Festival, um, there seems to be the curse of Elvira on Dennis Nordman. <laughs> uh, tell me he's fallen off his bike and broken his leg again. No, but um, the first time, that was the first time he were, that Dennis Nordman worked on an Elvira-themed pinball machine. Uh, exactly like you said, um, he was involved in a dirt bike racing accident, broke his leg and was in the hospital for like uh, six months or something. Um, and he couldn't finish the game. The second yeah. time when he was working on Scat Stiff, Dennis got actually laid off at yeah. Williams. Mm -hmm. And now the third design, he, is, uh, he designed the game for Stern and in the meantime he signed with uh, Deep Root Pinball. So sure. that's the third time he's working on an Elvira themed game and he can't bring it to the finish himself. Um, well, you're assuming that he can't. I don't know what the agreement he has with uh, Deep Root is as far as uh, finishing his design for, for Stern. Right. Um, but. Um, Deep Root might be very liberal. I don't see them being at Stern being that liberal, having uh, the designer who is going to be working at a competitor walking around your factory. Um, I don't. I don't see that happen. Mm, well, I don't know. I don't know what what terms um, they have with with um, the companies they're working for. Um, but anyway, it's uh, yeah. You, I, I take your point. Yes, something seems to happen every time they have a, a, a an Elvira themed game coming out. Right, so um, so um, Dennis and Alvaria, there, there seems to be some sort of jinx. Um, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't get any worse than this, because, you know, for Dennis' sake. Okay, so... Um, then you mentioned designers yeah, and original themes. Exactly, yeah, so while we're talking about Stern and upcoming titles... Steve Ritchie made a little announcement um, recently, didn't he, about what he's working on next? Well, the, the rumor was already going around, that, uh, and uh, I think he confirmed it several times on, on his Facebook, that he's working on a non-licensed theme. He certainly did. Yeah, he said it's uh, about having, it's great to have all the freedom now to design uh, and create the theme himself rather than having to work with, with licensed assets all the time and, and all the limitations that come with that. Right. Um, I think the buzz at Texas Pinball Festival, uh, it was hard to ignore. Um, everybody seems to be sort of convinced that he's working on a third uh, iteration of the Black Knight theme. Yeah, Black Knight 3000 or, or similar. Yes, or 3.0 or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, which would make sense. Um, because it's a it's a it's a almost a, a licensed un, uh, unlicensed game, isn't it? Because the, the assets, some of the assets are already there, the the backstory is there, um, sort of artwork is or start of the artwork is, is already there from what's been done before. So there's there's a good sort of uh, launch pad to to start a game from. Right. So, um, I'm not sure. But that, that's not confirmed in any way, shape, or form at the moment, is it? That's just a that's a speculation. It, it is speculation, um, although the rumors are very strong. <laughs> so, and speaking of rumors and Stern, um, um, as other uh, podcasts already mentioned, what is in the pipeline for Stern? I think the the the, the next six titles actually are already out on the street. If you <laughs> uh, seriously, they are. I mean, 
Um, Iron Maiden was sort of confirmed by George Gomez as Titanium Man, uh, the, the, being the, the code name for that project. Um, and that game has since then been um, uh, announced and revealed, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, yep. Then Deadpool has been rumored for quite some time. That's uh, in, in, the, in the books for the June, July kind of window, summer. Um, and then September, October, or the fall, um, two Kapow titles from Stern, uh, rumored to be the Monsters and the other being the Beatles. Um, and then there's Elvira, the third title, and Black Knight, so that makes it six titles for Stern. Um, so the next 18 months for what CERN will be doing is already out on the street. I would be surprised to see if they did anything that isn't predicted yet. Although we did see the Supreme title recently, which nobody saw coming. Yeah, although that was that's only a, a very small production and it's done as a, um, what do they call it? Um, I forget what CERN call those particular titles that they make for other people, contract yeah. games. Right. Uh, so, so, okay, so we've got those, those games. We've got like Iron Maiden, Deadpool, Munsters, Beatles, Black Knight, 3000 or, or whatever, and Elvira. So let's, let's put some names to who we think might be working on those then. Obviously, Iron Maiden, we know, was Keith Elwin's right. design, but based on his Archer one. So let's move. We'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll return to Iron Maiden in just a moment. Um, Deadpool, who do you think's going to, who's in the frame for, for Deadpool? I'd say George Gomez. Okay. And I I I would even go further and say um, Gomez redrawing a former Trudeau layout. That's uh, in, an interesting idea. Um, any any backup on that, or just? What you've heard over the over the past few months? That's what I heard over the past few months. I even seen uh, um, a complete photo of the playfield. Um, let me look it up on my phone. Um, which was actually already everybody apparently was sharing that at Texas Pinball Festival. There's a um, a photo of the playfield with a um, a piece of paper with artwork. Uh, an artwork sketch. The game is uh, uh, themed around a comic book, not movie. movie. Right. Um, not sure whether that is giving them any extra um, assets to work with. Um, well, Stern like to do that. It gives them more freedom, and of course, they don't have to license the characters or the actors, do they? Um, yeah. Or need to track. So, um, so now um, uh, I got the picture here. Um, this is all with uh, red plastics and a piece of paper in the center of the playfield. Um, there's a um, what appears to be a three-rank drop target with a Deadpool um, character on top of it. Um, few mechanisms in the back. Um, um, looks like there's no ramp on the. Um, uh, on the right side, uh, but two on the left, um, and you might have an upper playfield with a, um, uh, a a third flipper to access that upper left ramp. Um, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't even know. Do you have the same image as I have? Um, I don't think I do, no. Okay. 
So, um, one of the other uh, podcasters, I won't spill any names, was kind enough to share it with me. So, um, he didn't send me it, but he let me take a picture of his phone. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> which was good enough for me. So, um, okay, so, so Gomez for Deadpool, and then, as you mentioned, we've got um, well, uh, is potentially two um, Kapow titles. Let me allow, allow me to uh, add to that that um, when I ran into George at uh, EAG show in London in January, the first thing I asked him was, um, shouldn't you be working on Deadpool? He firmly denied that he was working on that game. Well, yeah. But he, he I can't see him confirming it either if he was. No. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take that as um, under advisement then, as people like to say. So, yeah, so you were saying Mon Monsters and Beatles, right. both cow titles. Yes. Okay. Um, I, so, um, I, so this is George Cameron Cow um, Company, right. Kapow Pimble. Um, who obviously uh, were behind Batman 66. Yes. Um, and um, they got, they seem to be theming games around, what should we say, 60s, um, 60s or early 70s um, pop culture. Yes, uh, that would be the, 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 the best description, I would say. I mean, obviously, Batman 66 was from that era. Um, Monsters apparently is, um, although I have to look it up, but uh, I guess that's fairly right. Beatles is as well. Um, okay. And if you're looking for names, I'm going to say Beatles, another Gomez design. And um, I think it was you who told me that Monsters was a dream theme for John Borg. Yeah, maybe, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> We we have these uh, these lift conversations as well, but uh, mostly they're about. Well, I think he mentioned earlier that, um, and and I'm not talking about recently, but I think someone years ago asked him what the dream theme would be for him, and I think he mentioned monsters. So, right. Uh, if, if he still feels like that, it seems fairly logical to assume, that, or at least that he would try to get it if Stern would be doing monsters, which apparently they are rumored to be doing. Of course, John Trudeau's dream title was always Beatles, wasn't it? Right. So I wonder whether he had a hand in that originally in, in drawing up a design. Um, could very well be, but since he's no longer working at Stern anymore, um, if there was a design, then someone um, either could start over or um, adapt to what was there and um, and continue on that. I mean, I don't see... Steve Ritchie working on the Beatles. No, no, I agree. Um, um, I asked John Borg, he flat out hates the Beatles. Uh, well, that's maybe too hard to say, but he would not be interested in working on that. Let's just, let's just put it like that. Okay. Um, um, I don't see Keith Elwin doing Beatles either, especially since um, that game is up for, um, like I said, fall of this year, and he just has his game out, so, and I think Keith even mentioned that he is not working, he hasn't started on anything new, so that would be out of the question as well. So yeah. who else? I mean, there are not that many de designers at CERN. It would be surprising though if um, there were two Kapow uh, titles brought out in close proximity to each other. Right. 
um, you would think one, no, one, fine, and then no, maybe three or four months later, another one, but to bring both of them out almost simultaneously would, um, would certainly sort of crowd the nostalgic pinball market somewhat. Um, probably true, but um, I'm sure Joe has something in his head. Uh, he must have some sort of idea of what he wants to do and... Um, If they are two very different games, then it doesn't matter. Well, no, but I mean, you can imagine the, the same audience uh, for both those games, Monsters and Beatles, both um, both people of a certain age um, who would, would uh, be interested in buying them but, and putting them both out in close proximity might strain some people's budgets. Well, um, if we're talking about who would be interested in buying them uh, in all fairness um, being from Europe even though the Beatles are British uh, I'm not sure whether that will work and Monsters I don't think Monsters was a very popular show in Europe no definitely not I don't think it really, um, I, I'm guessing it probably did air over here somewhere but I'm not, I can't remember it, it being shown it's only References I've seen to it are sort of you know, things like you know, Family Guy and uh, where it's it's referenced as a part of American pop culture at right. the time. Yeah, I don't I've ever seen it over here. No, uh, same for me. And uh, the only references uh, um, I've seen it mentioned on the internet sometime, and I had to look it up. Never ever seen an episode or anything like that. So internationally, I'm not sure whether that's a title that 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 is going to work for Stern. I mean, um, Gary Stern has said at many seminars and talks that they need a license to uh, get uh, distributors to order games, but at, in this case, I don't see how the, that would work for Monsters. But then again, I probably said the same about Wheel of Fortune, and uh, I think probably at least another 10 licenses that Stern went with, and they did it anyway, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, that would that would kind of give them a reason to produce two games. They could have like the Beatles for the non-US market and Monsters for the US market mainly. Obviously, there'd be crossover if either either market wanted to buy the other. Right. But producing two games, it's kind of like the um, the NASCAR and um, uh, Grand Prix versions of, of the same game that Pat Lawler did. Right. You know, I heard a rumor that there is um, a, uh, a limitation to Beatles, uh, but I'm not sure whether that's limited to the entire production run or just one model, uh, that there would be a limited run of 1,964 machines, which is like the year the Beatles started, I think, 1964. Okay. Um, but I have no idea whether that would apply to a limited edition or a premium or a pro. <laughs> it doesn't sound very limited, does it? Um, no, it doesn't. So um, you can imagine the entire production run wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily hit that. Um, well, it also depends on the pricing point because um, since these are Kapow titles, one has to wonder: Are we going to see uh, super limited edition games again? Oh. Absolutely sure we will. I think um, I think that that was a question that was raised um, in George's seminar, and I think he confirmed that it's 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 certainly on Stern's radar to to produce those kind of um, top end models where 
the license um, calls for it, not not on a regular basis. But and I guess that that was kind of code for whenever it's a Kapow title, right? Okay, so that's um, that's looked at what's coming up in um, in Stern's future. Um, obviously, we we know what what Jersey Jack is working on at the moment. Um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Do we? Which was received very well at the Texas Pinball Festival, and I think they had um, they had a couple of games there, and they had lines for them the entire show. Yeah, um, it does. It's an interesting way that they launch their games, isn't it? Because um, the game's not in production yet, so it's worth pointing that out. But well, it's, it was unveiled at Expo back in October. Um, it's been shown at various shows um, since then. So uh, we're looking at the past six months, but it's still not in production yet. Right. So, um, and rumor has it that production actually has been delayed until the summer. Then do we know why? Mm, no, I don't. Um, no. That was just what I heard um, um, already at Texas. Um, Jack was only there for one day and then he went to the uh, Arcade ex uh, Expo in, uh, in Banning. Didn't That's get a right. chance to, to talk to him. Um, I have been trying to get a hold of some people at Jersey Jack Pinball um, this week. Um, uh, sadly, not um, uh, very successful in doing so, uh, because there was another rumor, which I will not address, because I don't want to sp start spreading any false rumors if they are not true, but um, um, I had a good reason to call them um, to ask about something else, and um, this would be, would have been on my list as well. But so, um, but it's interesting to see how um, um, Stern is um, very secretive of their titles, although not very successful at being <laughs> so secretive about it. Um, but when they announce a game, it's instantly into production, and they're ready to ship out games immediately. Yes, indeed. Um, so on that on that note, um, let's get on to Iron Maiden, which uh, we mentioned several times, but haven't actually talked about how it was revealed. It wasn't revealed at the Texas show. No. Um, not entirely sure why it wasn't revealed at the Texas show. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure they could have. Yeah, they could have. It was only shortly afterwards that they first of all put out a little teaser video saying... Um, Iron Maiden Legacy of the Beast is coming without any pictures or video or anything of the, of the game, just a, a logo. Right. Which and just three or four days later, they actually announced it properly. Right. And they announced it in a, uh, well, properly is uh, certainly the, the, the right word, um, because they came out with like 26, 27 photos of the game. Um, there was a press release, and the same night, Jack Danger of Deadflip was at the factory streaming, live streaming uh, footage of the game, including uh, the, uh, designer Keith Elwin and the entire team being present, where Keith explained the objects of the game and where you have to shoot for and what you have to do and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and also, also Keith did a, did a coast to coast 
with Nate, didn't he? Um, right. Being interviewed about the game, so that was all lined up in advance. Yes. Um, well, the, the 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 video stream was actually live from the uh, factory. Unfortunately, Stern did not permit Jack Danger to have that video uh, recorded and stored on the uh, on the Twitch TV channel, so that people could watch it back. So um, either you had to watch it live or you missed it. That's basically it. Right. Okay. Um, um, I watched a uh, part of it. I think I watched for um, 60 to 80 minutes. So I saw the entire beginning. I saw Keith explain all the shots in the game and what you have to do. Um, then they started playing the game and no offense, but um, I found um, um, being here in Europe, being still, uh, uh, I had been ill. Um, I was very tired. It was very late at night, and mm. um, the music of Iron Maiden is very energetic with a lot of high uh, guitar notes, and yep. that coming from a pinball machine lacking um, um, uh, quite a bit of bass, especially on a live stream like that, it was just killing my ears. I uh, seriously, <laughs> I, I had to stop watching because I was like, okay, I see now it flips. Uh, layout is absolutely brilliant, um, but it's it's the, the the Archer layout that we that I think we both played like two years ago at our Arcade Expo um, yeah. 2.0. Um, I didn't see that many changes to the layout to be honest, but. The music in combination with that live stream over the, uh, the speakers and, and uh, that was a little too much for me. So um, I was just too tired and I, I, I figured I can watch this again or I can pick on, on this tomorrow. And then it turns out I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, a, little, a little annoying for uh, other people around the world who want to stay up in the middle of the night. Right. But... Um, Going back to the, the actual launch itself, we've only seen the pro version so far, haven't we? We haven't seen anything of the premium or the LE. We've seen the. We have a. We have seen a. Uh, what they uh, What do they call that chart? Um, uh, the feature matrix. Or exactly. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. That's what we have seen. And actually, you bring up something that I find rather interesting. Um, what I don't get is we see pictures of the pro, and the next thing you hear is all the LEs are gone. Yeah. Based on what? We the haven't type? seen yes. any pictures of the LE. We only have seen the uh, the Future Matrix. Uh, there's going to be 500 limited edition games. And apparently distributors already booked all of them. They're all uh, uh, sold for. So if you want one of those games, you have to be um, hoping that your distributor was able to get you one or you have to find a distributor that still has one. Yeah, so um, although you, you have to wonder exactly how nailed down these orders are, you know, if, if people say, yes, I want to buy a, an, a, an LE and tell the distributor that, and then later they see it again and, and change their mind, you know, is, it, is there a penalty in, involved or to reallocate it, or does the, does the distributor know they can sell it to somebody else? Um. I don't know how it works. Usually, what I understood is Stern is telling uh, a, a distributor might say like I want thirty, and then Stern gets back to them and they said you're getting twenty-two, mm. and then it's up to the distributor to disappoint whoever he wants to. 
Right. Yeah. Well, that's um, that's that's typically how it's worked in the past. I know. Uh, but now they, they keep bumping up the number of LEs and, um, you know, 500 right. LEs, obviously the same as the entire run for Spooky. I'm not, not sure why I, um, uh, re- I think I read it on Pinside, but um, apparently there's like 200 LEs for uh, North America and uh, 500 for, or uh, 300 for Europe, um, which makes me wonder, is Iron Maiden that popular over here? And obviously not very popular uh, in Australia or uh, in, in lots of other countries. Yeah, I have no idea how they assign those, but, um, well, that's up to Stern. Um, I'm sure the games will get there one way or the other. Right. Um, I do have to say, um, um, not only uh, marketing-wise did Stern do a very good job at um, uh, the reveal of the game, but if we look at the design of the playfield and the art package on it, ab- Zombie Yeti absolutely hit one out of the park. Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree. It looks absolutely stunning. The only thing, the only criticism I, I, I thought when I saw it was there was a kind of lack of guidance as to where the shots were, which is something which, you know, on a crowded playfield like that, you could you kind of do with a few visual guides as to you know where the orbit shots are where the inner orbits and um that's all but but as far as the actual artwork itself goes yeah absolutely stunning it, it stands up you know by itself if, if it wasn't even on a on a pinball machine it would be uh, be wonderful art to hang on your wall right and um well that's obviously it has to be your cup of tea but um this one really was um it gave me the impression that the zombie yet really raised the bar for future games by any artist. Yeah, and we've only seen the pro so far. We haven't seen what, what he's done for the uh, premium or the LE. Right. So. so you can probably expect different cabinet packages for that and back glasses right. or transpites. Yeah. Um, uh, on the stream... Um, no, there was an interview with Zach Sharp, that was it, and, um, uh, sorry, I don't recall who did it, um, I think it was Head to Head Pinball, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, they had Zach Sharp, um, and they asked whether the artwork would be different on the playfield for the LE and the premium as well, and Zach didn't want to address that yet. So that could right. be interesting, because usually we expect different art packages for the, uh, the, the premium and the LE on the, on the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we, we, we just have to wait and see what, will, what they will do with the playfield as well. If yeah, they, I mean, the, the, the others may, may actually not be you know, Legacy of the Beast branded. They might have a different Iron Maiden take right based around a different album or well obviously that's not an album but yeah, the current tour is legacy of the beast but it could be based around you know classic albums or um, any number of different things that, so we'll wait to see uh, right. how that turns out that might might by itself lead to a different playfield art right um rumor has it that um either the premium or the le will have uh, this this egypt theme that is part of one uh, album, I don't know which one, because I'm really not that well familiar with um, Iron Maiden music. Um, but I did see the the um, that 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 Sphinx with the uh, with the Eddie face, um, mm-hmm. and apparently that is 
um, used on a, on a wider scale on one of the models. Uh, I think even the code name is Egypt for um, for one of those, either the premium or the LE. So. Okay, that would make sense. Okay, um, so that's that's what Stern's been up to recently. Right. Um, now, what else? Um, what's happening down at Deep Root? Do we know any any news from them? Well, uh, no, um, no titles yet. Um, apparently, they're working on some sort of biblical um, um, uh, title. That's one. Um, um, personally, I'm. Didn't pay that much attention to them. Um, uh, Robert Mueller, uh, the owner of Deep Root, said like they would be ready um, in 2019. And I figured, okay, we'll see what you got by, uh, uh, by then. And in the meantime, I'm not going to bother them that much. Um, yeah, actually, they I have banners up at, um, at Pinball, uh, Texas Pinball Show, didn't they? Saying we'll, we'll reveal our, or we'll be showing our game right. uh, at next year's show. Well, they're planning the five days of Deep Root. Um, and apparently the fifth day of Five Days of Deep Root will be um, tying in with the uh, start of the Texas Pinball Festival um, in 2019, so that could be interesting. Uh, Barry Osler, um, who is uh, or a, a designer for Deep Root Pinball um, and actually already moved to Texas, mentioned... Yes, Antonio. Yes. He mentioned that he is working on two titles, one licensed theme and one original theme for Deep Root. Yes, he did. Yeah, he, he mentioned that during his seminar there. Um, that's probably what we know. Of course, then uh, uh, Dennis Nordman is working for them, John Papadouik is, and um, David Thiel is uh, going to be working for them. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm missing one other designer. Yes, um, I was just thinking that, and <laughs> we're going to be kicking ourselves when we actually realise who it was. Uh, and oh. probably people. Oh, uh, John Norris. Oh, of course, John Norris. Yes, apologies to John. Yes. So, um, so let's have a team of four for game designers down there, um, and David Teal. I guess I guess David's still working from Seattle, and he's not moving there. Right. So, but it's going. It's interesting to see. I mean, Barry Osler is already working on two titles. And um, God knows how many titles the other guys are working on. Yeah, of course, Barry's got some, some work he was doing at uh, Highway Pinball that's yet to see the light of day. Right. So we could have a, an awful lot of games coming out from Barry over the next uh, year or two. Okay, well, good for Barry. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's, that's the uh, events down in Deep Root in uh, San Antonio. Right. So then, um, interesting. No news, no news from Dutch Pinball. I was going to say Dutch Pinball were not present at uh, the Texas Pinball Festival, although there was a Big Lebowski game present at the show. Uh, someone brought it. Yeah. Um, I did talk to Cointaker. Um, um, one of the prototypes from. Uh, Zytec that was approved by Dutch Pinball was apparently shipped to Cointaker and was supposed to be um, at the show. Yeah. Unfortunately, that game got crushed in transport. It fell over and the back box in completely crushed and nothing they could do. Uh, there's um, insurance companies discussing it and they can't touch it and um, that's about it. So they couldn't bring that game to the show, which is uh, obviously a pity. 
It is. Um, I'm sure people would like to see, um, especially if they had an original one there, and they could put the two of them side by side to do a, a right. straight comparison so people could see how the Zytec one compared to the Aura one. Right. Um, like they did at the uh, Dutch Pinball Open um, last November. Um, That's right. Although they didn't tell anybody about it. So it was... Uh, well, was they, they said they had both models there, but they didn't indicate which one was which. Um, and people couldn't tell the difference, so that's a good thing. Um, it is. I did talk to uh, Barry of Dutch Pinball um, earlier this week, um, asking whether there was any news. There was a rumor, um, um, someone probably trolling, um, uh, mentioned on Pinside that he had been in an accident on a parking lot, uh, which is absolutely <coughs> untrue. Um, Bear not has not been involved in any accident whatsoever, uh, thankfully. No, um, oh, I wonder where that rumor came from. Um, I have no idea. Um, someone sent me a, um, a screenshot of that post, actually. I didn't even look it up myself. Um, I just saw that and I talked to Barry asking whether there was any news and whether it was true that he got hit. Um, um, on a, on a parking lot by a car or whatever. Um, so absolutely not the case. As in terms of uh, new development, they are um, thinking of sending out a new newsletter to the people who have a game on order. Um, basically, uh, Zytec has, uh, is in the process of um, ordering parts for, um, uh, to start the production of the games. Um, obviously, these uh, don't come in um, uh, on, um, it's not like you order them today and uh, Amazon delivers them uh, the next day. No, they obviously have a lead time and um, I think they ordered them some time ago and uh, probably the Chinese New Year would have got in the way of, of that in, uh, when was that, uh, February I think, wasn't it? Right, so, um, and uh, th there's also the situation of a trade war going on between US and China. So there, uh, remains to be seen is probably not going to be affecting uh, Dutch pinball ordering uh, uh, pinball mechanisms from uh, Pinball Life or something like that, that there's a ban on, on uh, pinball parts all of a sudden to be imported <laughs> into China. Um, that being said, it's not easy to import parts into China, but the um, I brought that up um, in the past a couple of times and Apparently, the Zytec people are experienced in how to deal with that and the, all the bureaucracy that is involved in communist China in importing parts. So they are yeah. still pretty confident that they can all get all the parts that they need. Um, so let's hope that they do. Yeah, there's a lot of people waiting for their games and um, both original buyers and new buyers and uh, I'm sure Sure, uh, everyone at Dutch is uh, very keen to get their their production line rolling and um, start producing the game, so they can they can get the the current orders fulfilled and um, get some new ones, and then move on to the, to the subsequent games. Okay, so that's um, that's where we're looking at with uh, with Dutch pinball at the moment. Right. Um, I don't know. I haven't had any news from Highway Pinball at the moment. Neither have uh, I. I think there's uh, still a few aliens trickling out. Uh, there's a new one just um, appeared in our uh, in our local pinball club here in London, um, so that's nice. Uh, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but 
um, it indicates I think that was just come in, so it's just come from the factory. So I think we're we're looking forward to playing that fairly soon and uh, seeing how that, that goes. I'm, I'm guessing it means that they're still still making them, but they do have a, a, a good number of games in the pipeline to uh, release as well. Right. right. So uh, hang on a second. I got an incoming call. Oh, who's that from? Uh, it's Gary. Gary Stern? No, Gary Flower. Gary? Oh, right. I wonder what he wants. Um, uh, I do too, but I, I he already hung up. So. Uh, what? Oh, man. Oh, we'll never know. Well, well, we'll find out what that is when we get back ne next time and find out. Yeah. Um, let everybody oh, well. know what, what it was. I'm sure it's got some uh, interesting news here to uh, tell us and uh, so we can share with everybody who's listening. Yeah, okay, but you were in the middle of your story, I didn't want to interrupt, so... Uh, oh, well, that's very kind, but uh, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll find out what that was all about. Right. Um, um, yeah, so... So, I think we, well, uh, um, um, two things uh, still to address in regards to the, uh, the Texas Pinball Show. Um, yes. The first I want to mention is Cosmic Chaos. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, it was obviously the theme of the show, and um, that theme came about when um, Mark Ritchie and uh, Ed Vanderveen, the organizer of the show, were hanging out at Mark's place in um, Illinois last year after the uh, Texas Pinball Festival. Um, had a couple of drinks, and uh, they came up with, like, we should do a game. Um, and they came up with this theme called Cosmic Chaos, which then Ed used um, and had artwork developed for uh, the last edition of the Texas Pinball Festival. We all have uh, seen that. But apparently, Mark Ritchie is sort of looking into designing a play field to go with that uh, game. And at the show, floor um, of the past Texas Pinball Festival. There actually was a pinball cabinet with a, um, uh, a decal on the uh, on the playfield glass with some, uh, uh, well it looked a bit like movie credits um, where Mark Ritchie uh, was mentioned but also Spooky Pinball. Yes that's right it was uh, kind of like a movie poster really wasn't it? Yeah. So uh, and the the the, the game had uh, the cabinet had artwork on all sides. So uh, the back box, um, uh, lower cabinet, uh, everything had artwork on it. It looked gorgeous, to be honest. Yeah, it was a very nice design in dark blue, and uh, as you say, that was the that was the artwork they they used or the theme that artwork was used for to promote the whole. Texas Pinball Festival. I, my understanding, and I, I could be wrong about this, is I thought Mark had actually done a, a playthrough design for that game already, and, uh, and they were just looking to you know, whether they could take it into production in some way. The artwork package is done, and, and the play and the design is is done. Um, obviously, it needs somebody to actually create the um, the rules and all the animations and. and and the rules, put it all together and make it into a package. Well, um, it's interesting. Um, Mark is obviously working for Play Mechanics. That's right. He's a busy guy. Right. Um, so um, if he would be allowed to design a game, um, at some point Play Mechanics might either want to be involved or they have at least to allow Mark Ritchie to be working on a game for somebody else. 
That's right. And uh, going back to Spooky, I mean, we already said how busy they are with their their production schedule, so they're not going to be probably not be in a position to make any more make that game. Um, any well, more titles to their to not, their not, list? Not in short term. Um, yeah. It could work for Spooky if, let's say, that game would have to be revealed at the Texas Pinball Festival next year. That might actually work. Uh, yeah, to do the numbers, run the numbers, and see how how that would work out with their, how many games they can make per week. But yes, uh, well, it, I think well, it would they're be probably a, busy enough building the games that they need to be building. So exactly. that's that's one thing. Um, yeah. Charlie has already plenty on his head. So if Mark Ritchie would be designing that game and Spooky would be doing it, um, that would actually free up Charlie's hands a little bit. Um, so that that might actually work for Spooky if that would be the scenario that all parties would be willing to agree to. Yeah, and one other thing about the Texas Pinball Festival, I don't know whether this is a thing that you were going to mention, is that um, the rooms for next year's show went on sale, um, I think, uh, the weekend, or just before the weekend, and they all sold out in five days, I think, or less than that. Right. might be five hours. Um, but certainly... If you haven't booked your room for Texas yet, the, the first block of rooms are sold out, so you need to wait for a second block at the Embassy Suites to become available, um, and that will be announced, I guess, on the uh, Texas Pinball Festival website and Facebook page right. when those rooms are available. But um, basically, if you want to stay at the Embassy Suites um, where the show is held, uh, don't hang about getting your booking in um, as soon as you, you hear that the rooms are available again. Right. So um, let me add to that that um, there are other hotels across the street um, which technically are actually closer to the uh, the show floor than the embassy suites itself is. That's true. So because um, the show hall is sort of down a long corridor. Um, which then opens out to a car park, and the other side of the of the car park there are more hotels. So, but if you want to be stay in the show hotel itself um, and be able to take part in the um, in the happy hour manager's reception or whatever they choose to call it in the evening, where uh, get the free drinks basically, um, then you need to be staying in the hotel. Right. Okay. So yeah. then um, the last. Um, item that we had on our um, headlines list was something that uh, was already being rumored at the Texas Pinball Festival um, and Rob Burke was actually present and told me himself that he bought the name Pinball Expo from uh, Mike Basek and the latest news on that well I think you have it so I'll let you yeah. know um, well, I spoke to both Rob and Mike this week. Um, Rob was Rob came to me and said he's got um, he's got the the full ownership of the Pinball Expo name, uh, assets, and liabilities. And what that means is that the hotel where the Pinball Expo has been held for the past uh, I don't know ten years or nine years since two thousand eight anyway. Uh, which is the West End Chicago uh, North Shore in Wheeling, uh, basically came to him and said, look, you've got this contract in the name of Pinball Expo. Um, we expect you to fulfill it. Uh, 
um, otherwise there will be uh, penalties to pay. And he said, okay, um, he got the contract redrawn in his sole name, as he says he's now the sole owner of the Pinball Expo brand. So the contract's now in his name, and he will be holding his show, which he had previously announced as being renamed to Pinball Palooza and moved to Schomburg in September. That is now not going to happen. Rob's show is now going to be taking over the West Inn on the original Pinball Expo dates in October, which I think is the 17th to the 20th or 21st. I don't know whether they're actually going to... Um, include the Sunday in that because in previous years Sunday has been a pretty much a dead day and not really anything they didn't even bother charging people to come into the show on a Sunday because uh, everybody was just packing away right. so it may just be a, a Wednesday through to Saturday show uh, finishing with a banquet Saturday night and that's the end of it right. uh, but the tournaments are also back Trent Organstein is doing the, um, the the big tournament there i think it's even bigger this year um, flip now. out or whatever it's called yeah that's right um so he's he's organizing all that um david fix is organizing the or helping to run the the, the vendor hall um rob craig um who's a well-known name in in pinball show circles both as a speaker and show organizer of the, the heartland show he's um He's sorting out the, or taking charge of the game hall, I think. Uh, the intention is to make both of those bigger this year than they've been in the past. Uh, Rob Burke said he's actually rented out or uh, he's contracted to take over the entire exhibition space in the hotel. Uh, before, there would always have one or two rooms they didn't take over and could be used for other functions. But this year for 2018, they, uh, um, he has taken over every bit of space there is in the hotel, so there'll be no other events possible during the show. And it um, also got the Stern Factory Tour back as well, and he said that George Gomez is the banquet speaker. Um, so that's Rob's news, but, but it's not all sort of smooth and plain sailing on that front because... Um, obviously, there's the issue with uh, Mike Paysack, uh, his his plans for his show, which were going to be the same dates. If uh, Rob was holding his show in September in Schaumburg, uh, Mike Paysack was going to hold his his show on the original Expo dates. Now, Rob's moved into that slot, so what's happening to Mike's show um, is a bit up in the air. And I think it's fair to say that the, the split between the two of them has not been... Um, smooth or amicable um, so there's there's that and that's obviously rubbed a number of people up the wrong way um, so there's, there's still a bit of well, quite a lot of tension um, uh, surrounding the whole issue I don't want to get into it too much um, because it's you know it's a contentious issue um, but the, I suppose the headline to take away from it is the pinball expo is is as according to to rob anyway it's absolutely set in stone for those dates uh, back at the westin hotel in wheeling yeah. and um it should be you know if anything goes to plan according to what he's saying it should be as big if not bigger than it has been in the past well um obviously i wish uh, rob and and mike the best in uh, whatever both are doing um 
Um, I'm afraid I won't be able to attend this year. Um, yes, it's a big shame. Yeah, it is. Um, actually, I was quite happy with the September dates because those were very convenient for me. Um, it's a pity that those are now cancelled. Um, but, um, okay, so if, well, Rob has uh, the name Pinball Expo and he's putting up this huge show. I hope it will be a huge show and I hope it will draw a lot of uh, people. Um, I'm certainly supporting uh, both of them if they both would be doing a show. Um, I can see why Mike is now not doing a show because the way I understood it is originally the Pinball Expo contract was signed by him. Uh, which sort of made him um, responsible for organizing a show at the West End at those dates. Well, kind of. It, he signed it, but it was in the name of Pinball Expo. Right. Not his own personal name. Right. So, so. as Rob is the owner of Pinball Expo, that contract is effectively his to fulfill um, or back out of and pay penalties. Uh, but what is a shame, I suppose, in a way, is that... Um, uh, Mike was going to team up with Dan from uh, Midwest Gaming Classic right. to do, uh, do a second MGC um, in the uh, in those October dates. Um, now that Dan said he's not going to be doing that, at least not this year, because uh, Dan was obviously looking at, at doing a a second show six months out from the MGC, which is um, this weekend. Right. Um, but he wanted to do one down further south in the sort of Chicago area and teaming up with, with Mike for that seemed like a, you know, once Rob and Mike had gone their separate ways, it seemed a, a natural way to go. Right. But um, well, as that date's not, not available anymore and the location's not available anymore, um, it looks unlikely that's going to happen. Um, unless Rob teams up with Dan. That could also happen. I have no idea whether there is any friction between uh, Rob and Dan um, or whether that's even a possibility uh, I'm just yeah, calling that just, from the top just of the idea. I think it's unlikely, I think the whole point of of, um, of what's happened is, is so Rob can have sole control of the show uh, and not, not, not to have a, a partner um, and or bring, a, bring another partner in to replace Mike, that wasn't the idea I don't think, but uh, anyway well, he can't do it on, on his own, I mean he still needs help, so... Oh, he needs help absolutely, but I guess he thinks he's got that, you know, he's spoken to enough people and got, got a lot of people involved uh, or agreeing to be involved anyway Right. Okay. Um, um, so, yeah, all we'll I can see. say yeah. is uh, obviously Pinball Expo is the mother of all pinball uh, shows and events I mean it's the longest running uh, pinball show since uh, I think 1985 um, for an annual uh, pinball show. Um, I know that uh, the the attendance numbers have dropped the past few years um, for various reasons that I won't get into. But I do hope that the public will support uh, this show, and um, if they. Uh, used to attend Pinball Expo and had reasons not to come anymore, at least give Rob the benefit of the doubt and see what he makes of it this year. Absolutely. I think uh, Pinball Expo was the, the kind of blueprint for other shows which have sprung up since. You know, they've shown how a, a, a pinball show, um, which is a, aimed at the public rather than the industry, can, can get support from... From the from the collector community, from the players, and from the industry itself, 
and um, can be a you know, could be a both profitable and enjoyable for everybody involved. And Chicago, obviously, seen then and probably still now, is the is the home of pinball. So it it was a natural place for it to be. You know, neither Rob nor Mike actually live in Chicago. So, um, but but that is where people come to. And you know, we, we were saying earlier about how many people are, uh, went to the Texas show, um, and that was notable that how many how many designers were. And obviously, you've got Deep Root um, and uh, Multimorphic who are in who are based in Texas. You've got Jersey Jack. Uh, out in New Jersey, so pinball is spreading across the country, and it's not concentrated in Chicago so much these days. But it's still, you know, it's the original, and it's still the um, the, the the main show, I think, for for most of the pinball collectors and right. and designers and and uh, industry people to come to to but meet. Also, there's still a lot of industry people still living in the Chicago suburbs. So for that reason, um, if you want to have uh, speakers at your event, um, it's mo- the, the Chicago show is the most convenient show for, for if you want to have, I don't know, um, a Jim Petla or um, Paul Ferris or Kevin O'Connor. Um, there's lots of people working at Stern right now, uh, obviously. Uh, American Pinball is still uh, Chicago-based. Uh, Spooky Pinball is in Wisconsin, which is three hours from Chicago. Um, um, Chicago Gaming, of course. Ex- obviously that. Um, and um, who knows what other parties as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, lots of industry veterans still living in the area. I mean, Roger Sharp is still uh, is not affiliated with any company, but he's still living in the area. Um, obviously, his sons are who are both involved in um, uh, coin up amusement and uh, and pinball, of course. Um, so I can see why a Chicago show uh, has some benefit um, uh, aside from having the uh, uh, Stern Pinball Factory Tour, and maybe we might even see an American Pinball Factory Tour. Who knows? Or yeah. or a Chicago yeah. Gaming Factory Tour. That would be interesting because. No disrespect to Stern, but um, I think that's been the only option for like the past 20 years. Um, people might want to see how someone else is doing um, production of games. Yeah, well, it doesn't need to be a, an either or. It could be a, a both. Isn't it? You could do a yeah. certain tour in the morning and another tour in the afternoon right. somewhere else. I mean, I, I remember back earlier, Pinball Expo days, where they used to tour a, a couple of locations um, if, if they were close together. Uh, there's no reason you need to, need to just have the one. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll see what uh, what Rob and the, and the team come up with for uh, Expo, and we'll see what what Mike and uh, Lonnie, his son, and uh, and what they what they put together. Um, right. So. Yeah. Um, I do hope um, uh, we mentioned the uh, the Schomburg uh, location, which is currently not being used. Um, I wouldn't mind if once the contract is up with the West in, uh, and um, I wouldn't mind if Pinball Expo would move actually to Schomburg because I think Schomburg is a far more interesting area, um, and uh, it's closer to the airport. It's closer to uh, Stern Pinball for one thing. Um, other manufacturers as well in that area. Um, uh, 
And there's just simply, there's more to do in Schomburg than there is in uh, Wheeling. So, I That's true, but, but, but one thing to bear in mind with Wheeling is um, the, the, the contract with the hotel, okay? So they have to fulfill a number of rooms at the hotel. Now, they do that very successfully, largely because it's where the show is, but also because there's not an awful lot of other hotels in the area. Right. As in, in Schomburg, there are, there are dozens and dozens of hotels, and there's new ones springing up all the time, as we've seen. We've, you and I have stayed there every year for the past few years, and the number of hotels to choose from has, has just increased and, and leaps and bounds. And every time we turn up, there's a whole new raft of hotels going up. Right. So it may not be quite so easy to guarantee those hotel rooms if it was uh, at a location in Schomburg. Well, the upside for uh, the attending public would be, if it would be in Schomburg, um, chances are your hotel room will be a lot cheaper. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, that's one reason to, to root for Schomburg. But uh, let's see how, how things go. Um, let's hope it will be a luxury problem for Rob to have to decide whether he wants to continue at the West Inn or whether he wants to go somewhere else um, because the upcoming show has proven to be a success. Well, as I understand it, the, um, the contract with the West Inn is for this year and next year. So it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be moving until um, 2020. 2020. Yes. Yeah. So, well, let's see how he does. Yeah, absolutely. And we wish everybody who's organizing shows expo or um, competing shows or just other shows in other parts of the country throughout the rest of the year best um, with their show. Right. Um, so I had this whole list of topics to discuss and I think we covered everything. You know what, I think you're right. I think, uh, um, yeah, you know what, and, and we said we weren't going to talk for a long time and um, here we are two hours later and we're still talking. Right. So at least, at least it was two hours in the raw recording. By the time we've actually edited this down, it'd probably be like, you know, two and a half minutes or something of actual useful information. No, don't say that. I think it will be like, I, uh, I probably edit out two and a half minutes of information and the rest, let's keep it. Oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do the editing. I'll let you take the, uh, the proverbial, or the virtual knife to the recording and, uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up here. Right. So um, and um, so, just for those listening, um, this was a trial. Um, I came up <laughs> with the idea to see whether this would be fun to do and useful to do. Um, obviously, as editor of Pinball Magazine, I have been sending out monthly recaps of the past month for um, I think um, almost two years now. Um, and there was the idea to do, uh, to turn it into a podcast. Obviously, there's already over 30 podcasts, so you can wonder, do you need to? Well, we don't need to, but we thought it would be fun. Um, and uh, teaming up with Martin from Pimple News seemed like um, a very good uh, idea, not only because Martin and I are very close friends. Uh, we travel to shows together. Um, and um, Yeah, and so far we haven't fallen out at any point. No, which surprises some people, actually. <laughs> I got even people asking me questions about that. But, um, uh, no, Martin's a wonderful guy to hang out with. And um, so, um, if 
this actually airs, if that's the proper terminology, um, that means that we at least found it okay enough to continue with it and make this public and then um, we look forward to being back next month with a new summary of what then will be the recap of 8 April 2018. Absolutely and uh, you know, if you've got any thoughts and comments about uh, whether you enjoyed it, whether you thought it sucked, whether you think we could do something, some things better, include other things we haven't included or drop some of the things we did include, then feel free to contact either of us um, through either through the Pinball Magazine website or Pinball News website. Um, and we uh, really would welcome your feedback because otherwise it's just the two of us sitting here talking to each other um, like a pair of idiots. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jonathan. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, here's, here's to the next one, hopefully. Okay, hopefully. Thank you. And um, thank you. until next month. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.